0: You are now listening to Home Care On Air, brought to you by Care Academy. Strap in as we dive headfirst into the future of home care and the issues, challenges, and opportunities facing home care operators in a post-pandemic world. Welcome. My name is Aaron Dunn, SVP of Marketing for Care Academy, the industry's leading provider of care enablement solutions designed to manage your agency's training and compliance requirements. In today's episode, we're talking with Care Academy's Director of Compliance and Policy Development, Erica Sessions. Erica, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks so much, Aaron, for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Yeah, and we're excited to have you. So, I know that you recently hosted a panel discussion with industry experts on navigating COVID vaccine mandates in home care. I know that we had hundreds of attendees and lots of great questions about how to implement these policies and what's coming down the pike. Love to try to get to answer as many of those questions here today. So let's get started. So this is gonna be a really interesting conversation. I think we're gonna dig deep into helping our agencies try to grasp what's happening here as it relates to vaccines, vaccine mandates. The rules are changing every day. And probably by the time we publish this, a whole bunch of new things will come out. But as best we can, I know you've been at the forefront of helping uh, our customers understand the different things that are in play. How do we address that and how do we help them move forward? But first, I'd love to just tell our audience a little bit more uh, about yourself, Erica. How long have you been here? What is it that you do for Care Academy and, and really what what drew you to Care Academy? And you know, we always like a little fun fact and maybe some things that people didn't know about you.
1: Thanks, Erin. I uh joined Care Academy at the end of 2018 uh, as a consultant in compliance and then later joined the team full time to really build out the compliance team where we work to map training requirements for all the different types of caregivers in all of the different states or as we refer to them as geos, since we do provide services in Canada as well in the province. Up north, I joined Care Academy because I really love working in healthcare, particularly in compliance uh, for the care of older adults. I had some experience, which is why uh, Care Academy looked to me for some compliance guidance, and I was really looking forward to continuing my growth in that area and helping a growing team grow big, grow fast. So, so far, I've really enjoyed my time. It's been really instrumental in my career narrative, and I've really enjoyed working with the people. They're, they're magnificent. Uh, fun fact about myself, I live in the California high desert, uh, up here where we have really dry, hot days. Sometimes my colleagues in Boston uh, are a little chilly when it's 32. I get a little chilly when it's 62. <laughs> wow.
0: Wow. Yeah, it is not warm here today in Boston, so maybe a little jealous. And I also think I've seen a photo of a roadrunner running through your neighborhood once.
1: We get some good fauna out here. We've had roadrunners. We've got a family of them that live on the property, which is great because they're natural predators to rattlesnakes. So we don't have to worry about those guys as much.
0: Wow. Who would know? So... (laughs) I always love to start with a bit of an icebreaker and my most favorite one. I'm not going to ask you today, but, you know, I think it's always interesting if you, if you could only eat one meal for every day for the rest of your life, what would that be?
1: Salad rolls. I love salad rolls. A salad roll is uh, basically lettuce, tofu, avocado, and maybe vermicelli, those little rice noodles, wrapped inside a rice paper and served with peanut sauce. And every place does them a little bit differently. It's typically a Thai dish. And I just love getting them at every restaurant I go to. I could never get enough salad roll.
0: (laughs) Wow, that's incredibly specific. Can you get salad (laughs) rolls in the high desert?
1: Yeah, I do have to use a towel to keep them from drying out because if you leave them exposed to the elements, they will turn to a crisp. And I try not to think about what that's doing to my skin out here. But uh, moisture, hydration, salad rolls.
0: I'm now craving a salad roll. I don't know what that's about, <laughs> but I might have to have Thai food for dinner tonight. So thanks for that. So anyway, on, on a more serious note, you know, let's talk a little bit about what we're hearing, you know, from home care agencies, and 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 dig into this issue of, of vaccine mandates. Um, what does it mean? What are we doing? How are we moving forward? Um, And so let's start with, you know, from what your research shows, you know, who exactly are the entities that are rolling out mandates and, and who do those mandates apply to?
1: So the entities rolling out mandates, you know, it's really coming from the top. So the Biden plan, I think, really set the tone for what we can expect from this administration and that guidance has continued. So there was an executive order that the Biden administration released recently, which stated that there will be vaccine mandates for employers of private companies of over 100 people. And then also for healthcare workers that work in healthcare institutions that accept CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement. So that's a wide swath of <laughs> companies across all states, and it affects many different types of care settings. So
0: it's interesting, you know, over 100 employees in healthcare, not in healthcare. Um, you know, home care agency. Is that part of the healthcare continuum? Is it not part of the home care continuum? So, but let's talk about, you know, non-medical private pay agencies. Are they exempt from this? What you see, you can see coming?
1: That's a really great question. And the short answer is it's state, It's going to be state-specific, which is odd because I just said that was a federal mandate. What we're seeing are a combination of federal and state mandates, some of which coincide, some of which are supplementary, and some of which contradict each other, which makes it so complicated and necessary to really look at an agency state-specific level to understand what's required of you. There are two different uh, licensing authorities or or regulatory authorities that are rolling out these vaccine mandates. The one for private employers of companies over 100 people, they'll be looking to OSHA. So OSHA should be coming out with guidance here in the near future, I would anticipate, certainly before the end of this year, especially considering the budget considerations at the legislative level happening in early December. And then the other guidance authority is going to be CMS, and they're going to be guiding the healthcare organizations with regards to private pay, non-medical agencies. Again, they'll want to look at their state-specific mandates and if there are state-specific mandates to comply with those as quickly as possible. And then as soon as those federal mandates are rolled out to reassess and see, you know, what you have in front of you through doing a thorough retrospective on your business of, you know, documentation, policy, and procedure and how you plan on moving forward. That
0: sounds like a lot. (laughs)
1: So it is. it's it's a huge burden uh and it's complicated and it's it's interesting because on one hand the government and regulatory authorities are recognizing home care as part of the healthcare continuum for the first time in decades. You know, For a long time, home care was left to its own devices in an unregulated Wild West sort of world. And now it's getting the recognition. Good. Also, double-edged sword. It's complicated because when you start getting more regulation, you're getting more expectations on how you run your business and what's expected of you in order to maintain compliance and quality.
0: Yeah. And I think there's a couple other issues that we're going to dive into here, but it seems like from what you're saying most of the home care industry is going to be facing some sort of imperative whether or not it's a federal mandate or a state mandate or a local licensure maybe not local but um you know some other group stipulating that you know vaccines are required. but we also know that agencies are facing an uphill battle about getting their staff uh, vaccinated, what, what kind of vaccination rates are you seeing from the folks that you're talking to in home care agencies today?
1: Well, it runs the gamut because it's so state specific with some states really holding off or um, requiring no mandates to the states like California, New York, who've had mandates in place for a while. And then, of course, you've got the companies that are setting up mandates in any state in between the two coasts, right? So some polls that we've seen, you know, from August, which is now a couple of months ago, and a lot of different levers have been been put in place since then, uh, some numbers around the nursing home staff were uh, 57% were vaccinated and 38% were unvaccinated. That was back in August. But from our recent panelist conversation, Kiana James of Friendly Faces and Senior Care in Texas, she had taken a poll with her staff and was surprised to learn that 75% of her caregivers were already vaccinated. And this was as recently as a couple of weeks ago. At the Same time, Kevin Smith of Best of Care in Massachusetts was facing the impending deadline of the end of this month, October 31st. And he saw uh, vaccination rates increase from 63% to over 80% in the last few weeks. So we are seeing a shift and we are seeing the, essentially the effectiveness of the blanket expectation.
0: Yeah, I wanted to follow up on that. So... Kevin Smith mentioned a 1031 deadline. Was that a state-imposed deadline, do we know? Or was that, is he reacting to something else that happened at the federal level?
1: It is a state-imposed deadline.
0: Right, so here he is trying to navigate what's happening at the federal level, but also the state is making uh, uh, interim decisions for him.
1: That's correct. And the good news for... You know, people like Kevin and states like Massachusetts is that although they've had this pressure applied early, it has it compelled them to create the policies, the procedures, and the documentation that are essential for compliance. So, all a lot of those ducks are in a row. So, for those states that don't have mandates, starting to document what that looks like for you and your business today and what you anticipate it could look like. And it doesn't have to be fast and hard and very serious, but simply showing the intention. And documenting that attention to detail is really effective for compliance.
0: Yeah. And I imagine um, certainly the folks that I've been talking to, you're probably hearing the same thing. The mandate gives them a bit of air cover. Because in a very, very extraordinarily tight labor market, um, chasing off respective employees is not really in, uh, in any agency's best interest. Mm. So are you hearing that as well, that the mandate gives them air cover to stipulate it and, and they don't have to, it's sort of like, hey, it's not me, it's, it's the, the licensing body or the state or the federal government?
1: In short, yes. With the mandates being so widespread and so ubiquitous Workers in every industry are being confronted with that as a requirement of employment. And as a result, in certain states where that is a ubiquitous requirement, they're seeing uh, the pressures are alleviating uh, rather than being exacerbated.
0: So, what's the ripple effect, though? So, you know, you think about clients, you think about families who are trying to find care for their loved ones. It's already a very tight market. So, if the industry loses, I don't know, let's say 10%, right? we've certainly seen some of those numbers. 10% of our direct care workers leave the industry because they don't want to comply with a vaccine mandate. You know, what happens? Where do we go from here?
1: It's a great question because as many who are listening will know, we don't necessarily have that wiggle room <laughs> with employment. We, you know, we've all been really strained by recruitment pressures and challenges and having even fewer candidates certainly adds extra stress where we really didn't want it or need it. <laughs> Um, So to that, I'd say continuing to develop your assets as a business and your attractiveness as a business should support recruitment ultimately and time. You know, we're all going to have to face a bit of strain through these really challenging and vastly changing times. So it's, you know, sometimes it's just putting one foot in front of the other and just doing the best that we can do each day and hoping that tomorrow will be better.
0: I think we're moving into a world where we're going to manage the virus. It seems a little unlikely that it's going to go away like overnight, but perhaps we're in a more of a maintenance mode and, and, and next year, um, I, I know that a question that comes up frequently is the exemptions. So, okay, great. There's a mandate, but there's a, you know, sp- specific exemption for uh, either a medical or for a, a religious exemption For agencies, you know, from the webinar, from your own research, you know, what is the guidance that you've been seeing for, you know, you've se- seen for agencies in those, in those, uh, circumstances?
1: My go-to is consult with your legal counsel to see how your business is best, uh, positioned to address those. Every state, every agency are going to be different communities. It even gets down to locality in a lot of ways, you know, across one county line to the next, you might see a different shift in what types of religious exemptions you could be expected to see. And so consulting with your legal counsel really provides you with the protection and the against liability and to make sure that you are really taking into consideration the different types of exemptions you can expect to see and how to address those, both in acceptance as well as in you know, the possibility of denial. I will say that when looking at exemptions and talking with our care workers or even other people just out there in the world about vaccines and vaccine hesitancy, you know that's obviously, hesitancy is a little bit different than exemptions. Exemptions, I'm sure there's a Venn diagram in which there's some overlap, but ultimately when talking with folks, and understanding where they're coming from. Documentation will be important, uh, but coming from a perspective of listening with empathy and understanding, it's really important to understand for us as leaders in healthcare, where our colleagues and peers are coming from, where our employees are experiencing the challenges of the day-to-day in this world. And ultimately, you know, sometimes vaccine mandates can be the straw that broke the camel's back. But listening to individual concerns and trying to address those, that's where people come together. On a primal level, we all want to be understood. We all want to communicate. And we all really want to collaborate. I think deep down, we want to move forward together.
0: So that's that's super helpful. And I think We've heard this theme really over the last couple of years in a lot of different contexts, but meeting people where they are, listening, providing empathetical responses is, is super important. I don't think that there's, um, it's a very uh, uh, unfortunately politicized issue. It's a very hot button issue in many respects. But you know, at the end of the day, I think that all of our agencies would agree they're attempting to deliver high quality care for people mm-hmm. in need, and they want to do that the best way possible in whatever form that takes. So I know that you have prepared a number of recommendations for agencies to think about kind of how to go through this, starting with listening, Uh, but I'd love to get get your take on on those other steps that you would recommend.
1: That's such a great question. So we do have a four-step plan of recommendations. Uh, The first one was one I just touched on just briefly there, and that was listening and coming from a perspective and place of empathy and understanding and compassion. The second step is in providing accurate information and education. You know, I think in a lot of ways, healthcare really will benefit from educational campaigns and making sure that information is shared consistently, constantly, and ubiquitously. And so that we all have information to the most current data out there so that we can keep ourselves safe and make the most educated decision. The third step is to offer concierge services for vaccine appointments. You know, this one's really focused on the the issue of accessibility. And so in offering opportunity and supporting caregivers in having easier access, lowering that bar will just make it that much easier to say yes. And then finally, have a plan B. Focus on recruitment and retention. Hiring vaccinated workers only, especially if that's what's required in your state. Again, you want to consult with legal counsel because your state may have an anti-mandate legislation out there. So you want to be sure to move forward compliantly. And you do want to make sure that you are legally moving forward appropriately. But ultimately, as Kevin mentioned, uh, Kevin Smith of Best of Care during our panelist conversation, in Massachusetts, you know, with a mandate already in place, only hiring vaccinated workers ensures that at least moving forward, I believe Kiana echoed the same sentiment, ensures that they're compliant. And at the end of the day, the Clients that they're talking to, the older adults in their homes that are receiving services, are only requesting vaccinated workers. So they're really meeting and working to meet the demand of their audience and their consumers. As part of Plan B, you want to consider religious exemptions. So ensure that your documentation is consistent and safe using PPE, that would be personal protective equipment, and that you're testing appropriately.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. You know, you it's likely uh, that some of your staff may um, may qualify for one of those exemptions. So, making sure that they are safe and that your clients are safe and that your uh, the rest of your staff remain safe um, is, is of a paramount importance, regardless of vaccination status. I think so. You know, if a worker chooses not to get vaccinated but aren't exempt. You know, what options do they have? Um, can they move within the healthcare, you know, to, are there other healthcare opportunities where maybe they wouldn't be subjected to mandates or are they going to have to leave the industry altogether? Or, you know, what's uh, what's what's their fallback?
1: That's a good question. I have not heard of any opportunity, to be honest, in healthcare, uh, whether you're a remote worker or otherwise, especially if you're a clinical worker, there are minimal opportunities there. Um, I could always dig in and do some research. That's one of my strengths. Uh, that being said there, it's possible, but they're going to be few and far between. Uh, and so I have a feeling that the conversation that started at the beginning of the pandemic around reskilling and upskilling the, the recently unemployed as a result of the pandemic into other, uh, industries, we will probably continue to see that conversation, but I'm going to loop back to what you mentioned earlier, Aaron, this is, uh, a disease that isn't going anywhere. If anything it's going to continue evolving just like the flu vaccine which is to which it's related and it will continue to reinfect. It will continue to come back and it's not going anywhere. It's part of the human biome at this point.
0: It's going to be an interesting uh interesting time for sure. So one of the things that um I, I think is comes up a bit as well is where does the liability land? And I and and you know you're not a liability expert so but m- more where should people go? What resources should people access when they're trying to, trying to assess liability if an unvaccinated worker does get a client sick or vice versa? Like, um, not asking you to be the expert here. I'm more, uh, if you have some resources that people could access that you can point
1: them to. Leverage your legal counsel and document, document, <laughs> document. <laughs> My drumbeat. <laughs> Uh, other resources that could probably provide additional resources would be uh, trade associations, potentially workforce boards, and then departments of health and other licensing authorities for whichever industry that you're in. Those are the main resources that I would highly recommend so that you can make sure that your plan and your approach are highly individualized and as compliant as they can be at any given day.
0: You should like put that on a mug. Check with your legal counsel. I like it. What else? Um... Should people be aware of how fast are things changing? <laughs> best resources. that You sort of highlighted a few, but maybe just recap sort of best resources where people should go to stay current on whatever mandates, et cetera, are carrying the day at the moment.
1: That's a really great question. And that's a really hard thing to answer because we all like to get our news from different places. Some places are consistently reliable, some places Wait, have a bias. Buy-
0: you're saying don't get your news from Facebook. Is that what you're saying,
1: Erica? <laughs> I don't get my news from Facebook. Um, (laughs) I get my news about my family. Oh, look, grandpa had a birthday. Happy birthday, grandpa. That's a beautiful cake. But when it comes down to staying compliant about industry changes and vaccine mandates to organizations, um, trusted news organizations like the Kaiser Family Foundation, Mayo Clinic, The CDC is a given. (laughs) You could probably put that on a mug too and go check the CDC. Um, OSHA, it can be fairly reliable as well, although their information comes through a little bit less frequently uh, than say the CDC does. And then signing up for any local, regional trade newsletters. I know that every morning I've got my newsletters that I go to, some are state-specific, some are national, and I go through and I skim and I look for the pieces that are going to be the most important for our industry. And then I share those out widely and loudly.
0: (laughs) So this has been great, Erica. Uh, Any last pearls of wisdom, maybe just a recap, CDC... Talk to your lawyer. No, I'm kidding. Any last things that you want to share with our audience before we uh before we wrap today's engaging conversation?
1: Yeah, I I just can't say it enough document. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be formal, but get out a Google doc, get out a pen and paper, start drafting out what it looks like. The CDC has some really great resources and the OSHA ETS, the Emergency Temporary Standard, have some really wonderful resources and guidance on how to document and what that looks like tactically, what it could look like for your agency. I can't stress it enough. Document. Even if you're in an unregulated state, document. (laughs) Even if you're in a regulated state, document and treat it like a journal come back to it at a regular cadence so that it's a living document and that it's a living policy and then communicate that out so that your company is all on the same page about what you expect and about the the things that are unknown still there's a lot that's unknown and that's okay we have to learn to live through ambiguity we've been doing it for 18 months we can keep doing it
0: and that closes today's podcast thank you to our guests and thank you to you our listeners please visit www.careacademy.com to learn more. Be sure to subscribe for future updates wherever you get your podcasts and five-star reviews are always appreciated.